Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to the episode seven of the Dig In Travel Podcast. The current situation is quite scary, right? At minimum, it's making us think. Because overnight, we are all faced with the fact that nobody knows what will happen next. Will you need to downsize? If so, how much and for how long? When will your airline start to grow again? Will you need to change? If so, how much change will be needed? Do you need to develop new features, new products, new solutions, or even new business models? I'm not here today to tell you the answers to all those problems, but I can say one thing. For most of you, your airline technology stack and setup is most likely not ready for that big change. How do I know that? Because every digital survey I do, and we do many, every time I ask you about your key challenges, airline technology and flexibility are on top of that list. Airlines talk a lot about digital transformation but what kind of architecture you actually need to be able to transform your business? How can you build a future-proof airline technology stack that will be up to the task when the next big change wave will hit us? Just like the current one did. To get you some of the answers, I talked to a person who knows a thing or two about how to build a modern, future-proof technology. I talked to Micha Kral from Accenture. I started following Micha's work way back in my IT days when he worked for Microsoft. Microsoft organized the biggest IT conference here in Slovenia and they would always bring Micha to talk about future trends. His talks were always inspiring, kind of uh, futuristic. And at the end he was the only reason I attended the conference even after, long after I moved from IT to marketing and e-commerce. Micha worked for most of the digital giants, IBM, Microsoft, Amazon Web Services, and now Accenture. At Accenture, he works with global clients on big IT and digital transformation projects. His clients include airlines and some of the trail giants of the world. Sometimes situations like the current one make us rethink the future and our plans. Micha talked about some of the concepts you might not be aware of yet. At least I wasn't, for sure. And I'm sure his insights of what's waiting for us a few years down the road will make you look at some of the things you're doing differently. And this is what this podcast is all about. Now, please enjoy the show. Hi, Micha, and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. Hey, hey, how are you? Hey, good, good. Uh, really glad to talk to you after all this time that we will have been preparing. So before we start, uh, Micha, you have very interesting background. You worked for most of the giants from IBM, Microsoft, Amazon Web, Ser uh, Web Services to Accenture, where you are now. Can you explain a little bit how you started uh, and how you en uh, ended up and what you do now at Accenture? Well, I started my career back in Slovenia. So I am a Slovenian by background and also by one of my three citizenships. Um, 
my career actually started with an obsession with uh, IT industry way before IBM or any commercial products. IBM was the first one. IBM in Slovenia was the first one that actually pulled me into the industry professionally. Spent there, I believe, five or six years, moved over to Microsoft in Slovenia. Uh, in a couple of years, moved from Microsoft Slovenia to New Zealand. That's where I got my second citizenship and also the second child. Uh, moved to US to Redmond, where I still live, uh, kind of on outskirts of Seattle. My last part of Microsoft career happened over there. Kind of, I think I spent 15 years total in Microsoft. Moved over to Amazon Web Services for a while. Tried to help them to build professional services over there. And then I believe nearly six years ago, moved over to Accenture. Initially, I was focused on cloud strategy, added cloud architecture into it, uh, extended to modern engineering practices. And now I'm trying to steer the direction and strategy for one of our divisions that is mostly focusing on intelligent cloud and modern engineering services. Yeah, you are telling me that uh, this part of Accenture, or uh, let's say your role, is like to overlook uh, the whole technology stack or uh, the the technology part of the the things that you do for your clients. Fair. Well, it's very hard to uh, translate the hierarchy that we have in Accenture because we are primarily client-focused type of a business. We don't have internal hierarchy like traditional companies do. There is no, you know boss with uh, uh, leaders underneath that person and leaders underneath that and so on. Um, Microsoft or any other traditional companies are hierarchically organized. Uh, we are mostly organized around our clients. So internally, what we really do is actually have a very lightweight way of steering, uh, directing, uh, trying to shape what are the new trends, new technologies that need to be prioritized so we can actually help our clients even further and contribute to their own success. So think about my role is mostly trying to figure out what is next coming down the chute so we can actually be prepared, we can train our people we, where we invest and actually have either ventures or investments into various startups. So actually we can then turn that around into value and contribution for Accenture's clients. What's next is actually what I wanted to talk to you about. But before we get into details of that, uh, you said three citizenships uh, lived in New Zealand, now in the States, and now with, especially now with your role, you're also a road warrior or how they call them, the one, the people who really travel a lot. So maybe as an outside of our airline industry, how do you look uh, at the current experience, uh, be it from the physical or the digital part? Well, if you're talking about current experience, like what we are experiencing with the COVID-19 and the lack of the movement and voluntary social isolation, I have to say that it is it is really weird. I usually travel just under a million miles a year. That would be kind of a, my regular flight routine. Um, being home for now, I think third week in a row without a single hop or trip anywhere around, for me it's almost like a you know like a like a taxi drive. For some people, that would be a taxi drive to downtown. That would be for me hop from I don't know Seattle to San Jose, for example, or a quick hop from east west coast to east coast and back 
and I regularly always had international longer flights. Um, I have a client in Japan, another one in Singapore. I regularly go to South Africa. So being home is actually really odd, trying to do everything over video cameras, trying to do everything remotely. It's simply consulting industry was never really shaped to be a offhand type of industry. We always valued humongously the direct personal touch, personal relationship, actually have a closed door one-on-one -on -one meetings. And all of that has to change now. So on one side, uh, when I'm helping and advising uh, executives in airline industry, we help them to prepare on what is coming and is this going to impact the reduced travel in the longer term. Primarily, we're talking about travel of humans because cargo is still going regularly. Cargo did not slow down at all. Actually, it is even increasing a little bit more. But on a personal level, it's also... I kind of knew all of the crews on Delta flights out from Seattle. I know majority of the crews on Alaskan Airlines. Uh, frequently when I'm hopping on American or on on United, we just kind of know each other. And I feel like I don't see people that I should see in order that I feel productive. And it is really, really odd, very lonely and isolated feeling. You see the impact that the travel and uh, airlines have in our people's life once it's removed from <laughs> from us Indeed, in a yeah. situation like it's happening now. You said you one of your jobs or let's say one of the things that you try to do for your clients is trying to help them predict the, the future. I'm a bit of a control freak, so when I was preparing for this interview, I usually, for all the airline industry guests or, I don't know, the digital uh, uh, e-commerce space that I work in, I, I know exactly or uh, what I will ask. But when we try to talk with you about the future, I'm a bit of freaked out because I'm not really good at predicting the future. Tell me, when you look next five, ten years, the future, the digital future, uh, what are the trends that you see now that will have the biggest impact in the next five, ten years? Maybe? Well, I don't really, I don't really want to go beyond five because I think that particularly we live in technology-wise in so dynamic times that amount of innovation that we see happening within a year. Maybe we can talk where the trends are going in the next five years. But to kind of a first try to top it up, when, yes, I did tell you that I help predict the future, but there is kind of a, there are two parts of that, what we do with clients or what I do with clients. One part is looking into their own past and try to figure out how to minimize their existing technical debt. Some of my clients are still having mainframes that they couldn't modernize or upgrade or refresh to actually be relevant. Now you're talking about airlines, right? <laughs> well, not, well, airlines do have a mainframes for some specific reasons or specific, and again, not all of them, but airlines are very interesting industry, particularly because a huge amount of stuff needs to be regulated and it is not possible just to drop an old system because it's old, and say, oh, we found another supplier or another development house or another startup that is completely replacing, for example, I don't know, reservation system or tracking system or making, uh, you know, buying a new system that is going to certify compliance of an aircraft just before the takeoff. 
you can't just switch that easily. And that's why you can see that the airline industry has a extremely long tail of highly diverse generations of technologies. So when my teams are working, particularly actually the whole hospitality industry is interesting that something that I call IT archaeology, we have most fun time in those industries that cannot simply rotate on a dime. And we can dig out all of those different layers. You're almost like digging out a system and going, oh, I know this is exactly from 1987 type of the system. <laughs> and then you can you can find another one that is highly digital and highly modern and fully mobile and everything else in between as well. So this archaeology, you mean exactly uh, looking at the technology depth and the com uh, complexity of the existing situation? Correct. So one of the probably most lucrative businesses that we have in IT industry these days is to go down the path of what we call refactoring. Refactoring is an exercise that you look at the old system and try to ideally reuse as much of the code as possible, depending on what that code was written in. Uh, and then, of course, heavily modernize the underlying platform, add all of the modern digital channels, creative in multi-channel and so on. Refactoring it on its own has a huge issue, is that there is usually no documentation, right? And that's why those uh, types of work are so interesting and lucrative, because you can only look at the system itself. And when you say, well, do you have it documented? Well, not really. Well, where is the developer that wrote it? well retired maybe even dead so a huge amount of issues that the refactoring is facing in order to make these systems modern so we can totally talk about what that modern is or is going to be but the huge problem we have is where they came from and how we modernize them okay and once you know that so once you identify the technology depth once you once you do the uh, archaeology that you mentioned, what is the next step? Well, further ahead you look, more risky, but also more expensive it gets to build those systems. We already know what is a mainstream of a typical technology innovation today. For example, most of the systems should sit on top of containerized platforms. Uh, people that are, you know, tracking IT will know that Kubernetes is now one of the key players when it comes to orchestrators, and it's kind of a considered almost like an operating system of the modern era. Although, in all fairness, Kubernetes is not an operating system. It's just an orchestrator. But still, but we also know what's coming a generation after that, which is definitely serverless type of systems that are using event streaming and event-driven type of reactive systems. And we also already kind of suspect what is going to come after serverless. So the whole point is that IT industry has a relatively predictable waves like ebbs and flows of how do how can we plan, predict, and then prepare for the upcoming technology waves. During the old nice Java times and client server, we already knew that server service-oriented architecture is going to come. 
During the service-oriented architecture, we were already thinking about what is wrong with the SOA and what do we need to change to go to the next generation and next wave of technologies and implementations and architectures. And then, which where we are right now, microservices that are kind of ruling the world on top of containers built with the DevOps practices, we already know what is coming the next one, that we are looking into a no-code and low-code type of technologies that are making developers a little bit more obsolete. We see the change in persistence and database stores, uh, how that is switching. But then looking for the longer term, if you want to have those discussions, we can totally talk how quantum computing is going to change the world, what AI engines are going to take over from traditional algorithms. We kind of see about, as I said at the beginning, about five years ahead, and one of the crucial decisions is when are we flipping internally and when are we starting to tell to clients that it's time to flip the switch? When it's time to go away from virtual machines to containers? When it's time to go from containers to serverless? When is it time to go from serverless to quantum? All of these decisions either are our executives are facing today or in upcoming years. Now, my, now I am freaked out. <laughs> I'm uh, joking. No, but uh, very interesting uh, concepts. And uh, uh, my IT days are were over like five years or even seven years ago. So some of the concepts I understand, some not. But the one that is uh, really interesting to me is when you're talking about serverless uh, in the future and mm -hmm. uh, how we are now. Everybody's talking about agile DevOps, like you said. But the next step with serverless, I think you were talking about in some of your prior um, prior talks, is uh, the, the the transition from DevOps to BizOps, and this is probably I think something along with democratization of technology. Uh, so from uh, low code to no code, this is something that's interesting for the CEOs, the marketing people, the digital people, because it will empower them to be even more flexible and agile down uh, down the road. Or uh, did I get it right? Yes, you did. Al almost perfect. So let's go <laughs> down the stack, right? So whenever we see a shift in the IT industry, that shift kind of usually starts with a shift in the architectural space. Then it percolates kind of a, when some crazy architects decide that there is a new way of either thinking about information, doing execution or whatever, we need to create a new process to make that new craziness actually work. So first, after you get a change in architecture, then you get a change in processes. So for example, we are going from traditional agile slowly towards more and more lean type of engineering and software development. Then developers that have a new processes, the new way of putting stuff together, that new architecture together, they need new tools. So DevOps and DevSecOps was one of those trends where they started to look into how do we make things cleaner, leaner, better automation, better tooling. And that one is also getting that evolution. And that's very much where that BizOps kicks in. Because today, the typical DevOps and DevSecOps tooling is very specialized and it requires extreme level of expertise and very, very progressive type of nerdy thinking in order to make it work well. 
That's why you can see it most successfully implemented in unicorns, which would be like a billion dollars worth startups in Silicon Valley. But it doesn't go much beyond that. Every bank, every insurance, every even airliner will try to do their own DevOps, DevSecOps automation to a different level, a different degree of success. Now, BizOps is the one that is kind of clearly coming down the chute for a very obvious reason. We need more people making apps. Uh, cloud providers need more people making apps in order to sustain that accelerated growth of cloud computing and using the machines that are sitting in data centers across the planet. So BizOps is the trend how to make tooling much more close to non-specialized, non-developers, non-professional IT people, so they can either visually with a drag and drop, or with a simple scripting, but ideally making a new application shouldn't be much more complex than making a highly, let's say, calculation inside the Excel spreadsheet. So BizOps is definitely one of those trends. Now, below that is always an execution platform, and that's what you mentioned as well. We went from VMs towards containers, and we are now slowly moving towards serverless. So as I said, all of these things are connected. If you, if you want to talk about the future trend, uh, Architecturally, we're looking into reactive event-driven architectures. Uh, when it comes to process, we are looking into a lean software engineering. When we are talking about tooling, we are going toward BizOps. And when we are talking about what the new execution platform is going to be, it's going to be serverless. These four things are going hand in hand in order to make next generation of, of modern systems work as best as possible. Let's take a step, step back and I say I'm a, an airline CEO or mm -hmm. I don't know, chief information officer, chief digital officer. By the way, who is the one that you usually talk to when you talk about digital transformation projects? That is a really good question and it's no longer a clean cut. In the past, it was so easy when we went to CIO or CTO and we just talk about how technology is going to lower the cost, how technology is going to lower the risk. And these were the only two discussions that we really had, cost reduction and better security. Now we actually go and talk to CDOs, like chief digital officers. We talk to a CFOs. We talk very frequently. I'm going straight to the office of chief executive officer who has a mandate uh, to dramatically, drastically change that industry. That, for example, if you are now just a hotelier or let's say just an airliner, how do you turn into a true platform that is now becoming occasionally even CEO agenda, not just chief digital officer or financial officer or whomever else do we address? So suddenly it became a cross-cutting concern for everybody in a board how IT, kind of a, the trend here is that every business is becoming software business. So if you are a software business, your CEO and CFO are equally interested in software development and information technology, just as much as a CIO and CTO are. Yeah, very interesting. And I would say for the airline industry, based on the CEO profiles, I think we are still a little bit far from that. But on the other hand, a lot of them talk 
about becoming digital companies, airlines becoming digital companies. You mentioned digital platforms. So I think that's a, an interesting and valid point that you said then you need to start the talk from the top. So let's say, okay, the CEO asks you and tells you, Micha, we are an airline. We have a lot of, uh, uh, we want to become a digital platform, uh, but our current uh, platforms, our current uh, processes are not agile enough, we're not fast enough, uh, a lot of technology is outdated. How would you, uh, how would you start? What would you, uh, how would you approach such a case? Well, the first part is we need to take the, you uh, opened two different problems and two different layers. We need to make a common vocabulary. If you have a business problems, which means either, you know, your margins are too slim and you would like to increase the margin per seat or per flight, uh, that's a business problem. Has nothing to do with the fact that you have your technical platform, good or bad or old or new. So we need to start really addressing what are the business concerns you want to address? Are you lowering the churn? Do you want to increase the loyalty? Do you want to improve the profitability per sold unit and so on? And how are you doing it today? Once so to answer that, out, maybe from the... Yeah. Let's say the typical, uh, the CEO that's talking about airlines becoming digital platforms. What I hear is they would say, okay, and mostly are these bigger airlines or big low cost airlines. We build this huge brand. We have this huge big audience. And of course we work on scale. Our margins are small. So we want to take more of the pie and we want to expand our business, not only in travel, but we want to monetize this audience by becoming the digital platform and offer them all kinds of services from hotels, transports, activities to even retail, e-commerce uh, and lifestyle. But currently our knowledge and platforms are not uh, built for that. Right. So this is very much where I think that it's worthwhile that I do a shameless plug. This is where Accenture is actually very different from other system integrators, because we are not going to take an order that says, hey, modernize my platform. And we are just going to focus on that. Most of the things that you just mentioned, for example, you want to be a digital platform because you want to attract more people. Are you going after millennials? Are you going after leisure travelers? Are you going after, uh, for example, business travel? How are you addressing them? How do you find shaping all of this? We in Accenture, we actually help with all of those validations, right? We put together the hypothesis. We actually find out what is the key one or two or three capabilities if we address those couple of them, couple of business capabilities and make them better, your whole business would be better. So Accenture is the full management consulting firm as well. And we shape the strategies and find out the exact reason why your pain points are where they are. Sometimes executives are going to come with a pre-shaped idea and we can execute on that idea, no problem. But it's much greater value if we actually can together collaborate and find what exactly is the problem of a specific airline. Digitizing, uh, for example, a low cost type of a, 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 of a transporter, as opposed to a typical one of the mega airlines, let's say if I would say Ryanair, as opposed to who else would that be in, in, in uh, Europe, let's say Air France, Lufthansa, Air France or yeah. Lufthansa Group, uh, dramatically different approach. Also, dramatical different starting point based on which systems which one has and when the airline started and how much of a legacy is in there. Anyway, after we go through identifying which capabilities we need to improve, 
majority of the times, almost always, these capabilities are locked in old legacy systems. They were sometimes bolted on as an afterthought. Let's say the airline first initially started just like as a as a people carrier, and most of the systems are counting seats, but not capable of really doing cargo really well and things like that. So we need to find the right capability. And the best approach that we have is to extract that one capability or couple of few of capabilities out from the legacy systems and just focus on development of that one or those few. And that's how we call it digital decoupling. We so decouple one or few capabilities and build them on the side on the new platform with new technologies. So you mean you build them on these new principles and uh, on, based on this new architecture that you were talking before about? Correct. And integrate back into the legacy. One example that we have exactly for airline industries, we did for one airliner, we digitally decoupled the whole uh, um, alerting and signaling of changes. So, for example, if you're going today to a traditional airport, the time when airport gets the notification either on a delay of a flight, change of a gate or anything like that, uh, it's most commonly, at least in US, you're going to get that at least two minutes later on the airport notification system compared to your mobile app. So mobile app is attached much closer to the source of streams of events that the main system of airliner is producing, uh, either because of the, let's say, rerouting information, delays, or you know mechanical failures. Very frequently, we will see that uh, passengers are staring at their mobile phones. The gate change is announced. They get it on a mobile phone. They start walking. The rest of the people that rely on a traditional signaling of the airport are looking confused. They're going to stewardesses, to, the, to people on the gate, and people on the gate are typing into their own system going, no, I see no change. Why are half of those business travelers moving? Why are they leaving when suddenly the announcements hit them as well? So that real-time, reactive, event-driven type of a streaming of events, instead of waiting that some database gets a record changed, and then somebody is in, I don't know, 10 seconds interval scanning that record of which gate, which flight is going to be on. And when the change is announced, then slowly propagate all of the change throughout the rest of the signaling systems. That is a very, very old approach. Going to much more reactive event-driven systems is something that we see that airliners are embracing quite extensively. Okay, so you 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 do this uh, first digital or first few digital decoupling. How do you follow up? Uh, how do you build the new the new platforms, or they just add up together in this serverless approach uh, that you are talking yeah. about? So one of the key problems is where to find the funding to modernize everything. Every CIO that I talk to or, you know, every owner of technology, they would like to modernize everything immediately. But there is no money for that. So we always need to find if we're looking into how are we going to fund this, we need to uh, define where the money in the future is coming from. So the easiest way to do that is actually to make a total cost of ownership projection and say, look, if you're moving everything, let's say to public cloud, you're going to save, and again, I'm just going to throw random numbers. You're going to save $100 million per year as a run rate 
after you did that move. So out of those great savings, let's say in five years, you're going to get half a billion dollars of savings. Uh, we need to eat some of that just in order to really move you to the cloud. So let's say that half of that goes into the migration project itself. But then you still freed up $250 million for any new investment. And then there is a question, look, if we cut your cost of IT, what could you do with that money? Because every normal CFO, after they see a solid savings projections, they're going to allow borrowing from the future savings. And that's how you fuel the modernization programs. Every modernization program needs to be fueled out from potential savings that the program is going to generate. Yeah, also, for me, as I said, way back, my role was a CEO uh, for chief information officer for a smaller airline, but this approach would would make me a little bit more comfortable because I was always, or as an IT guy, I was always uh, a little bit uh, scared or wary of this big bang, new implementation of huge systems that uh, lasts uh, two years and nobody knows uh, how, we, how it will end up. So this approach of agilely adding like uh, decoupling service by service and editing it uh, in a serverless uh, cloud-based uh, environment, uh, it's much uh, less risk and uh, easier to validate as you go. Fair. So risk-wise, you are absolutely correct. Um, when you are not poking into the whole system of systems of a typical complex enterprise, uh, you definitely re uh, reduce the risk. And de-risking, particularly when you have a regulated industries like airliners, de-risking is one of the key value drivers how to do things. But on the other hand, when people are actually, I had that discussion with, uh, with a CIO probably about two months ago, and he was ruminating on exactly the same thing, like we are no longer doing big bang type of mega projects and so on. I, I tend to, to differ from that. So I think that the size of the projects we do are the same size as what we used to call the Big Bang. But the totality of that system of systems is now so much larger that we can always claim that we are actually poking and changing and modernizing, uh, let's say, a small fraction of the enterprise. So in the past, if we moved the whole enterprise, let's say when I worked with smaller banks, let's say when I worked out from New Zealand, the budget for the total modernization, and it was kind of a big bank project, would be equivalent on uh, clients that I have these days, just the budget to modernize, let's say, loyalty system alone. Right, so the size, the bang is still the same <laughs> size, but the totality of the system of the enterprises is now so much larger. It doesn't have the feeling that we are disturbing everything in a business. So maybe to to ask from the under angle or from the uh, to get your uh, to pick your brains on that, based on the digital transformation and uh, everybody. I think it's an overused term is talking about this digital transformation project, but you have a lot of experience with them. What is the thing that you uh, that you see that your clients or the people get uh, wrong the most? <laughs> uh, you're going to be surprised with my answer because it has nothing to do yeah. with digital. 
has nothing to do with digital. What they all get wrong is that they still still think that the culture is going to retain and prevail. You know, we are going to modernize all of those glorious systems and change all of the processes, but we are still going to be organized in the traditional hierarchy fashion. There are still going to be fiefdoms. We are still going to have a very restrict number of education and training days. We are still going to pay a relatively low payment to our developers because they are not a core value providers and so on. So it's culture. Culture is the one that if you don't expect to dramatically change the culture, your digital transformation will not succeed. If, I want, if you want me to clarify just on that last one, for example, when we modernize a company, and usually typically that will include moving them to a cloud computing world, and then we have to retrain all of their people to become cloud experts and cloud-based professionals. Cloud professionals are worse on the market for at least 30% more in salaries than traditional IT professionals. So if the company is not prepared to increase the pool of salaries for modern IT workforce that they want to retain, it will be really hard because we are going to train all of those people. We are going to make them AWS experts or Azure experts or Google experts as part of the new business model that that company asked us to do. And those people are going to turn around and say, hey, that other company is now offering me 30% more money for my newly acquired skills. What are you going to do? So very frequently I'm hearing back like, what did we create here that suddenly we created extremely expensive workforce? Yes, that might be a side effect, but you need to start stimulating them differently. You need to start to give them additional different work. So everything culture-wise, how do you structure the company? We call that architecture, right? Organizational architecture. That is the one that really, if you, we don't get it right, will really kind of come back with a vengeance after we are done with digital transformation. I, I agree. And I see this from the, you, what you're talking now is top-down view or top-down approach, but I see this is bottom-up when we do special conversion optimization, dig, uh, digital workshops, e-commerce workshops, digital marketing workshops, for example, for airlines. And they talk about, yeah, we need to become like digital retailers, online platforms. But then we start, okay, let's build these skills. Let's build the e-commerce skills, not only the technical, the ones that you are talking yeah. about. And it's the same thing. One of the... One of the worst things that you can do to a modern, let's say you take a traditional, let's talk about a system development, right? You take a developer that's used to code in some arcane old language and it's a Java expert. And then we help that person to become a full stack developer, still employed by the enterprise, but now suddenly understands how the full continuous integration works, how continuous deployment works, understands all of the modern tools of the trade, understands how modern software engineering works. And yet when they try to do something, suddenly some enterprise architect walks by and says, no, you can't use this language because it's against our standard. You cannot use that technology because we did not give it the corporate seal of approval yet. So suddenly you can imagine a newly retooled developer that kind of a, saw a glimpse of the modern digital way of making systems. And yet all of those restrictions and standards and inertia doesn't let him or her 
do things the new way that were just learned. And that person is going to be more and more frustrated up to the point when they are going to start sending resumes around. <laughs> no, uh, very true. So maybe going back when we talk about the future uh, and now more concretely about airlines, we talked about becoming digital platforms or uh, let's say e-commerce platforms. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of uh, airlines also fear that Amazon's or Google's, the, the digital giants, will become the ones that will have a one-on-one -on -one customer relationship and their airlines will be, let's say, left only to, to be a service provider. How do you look, uh, or maybe even better, how can digital help airlines avoid that or uh, f find their place in this digital global ecosystem? Well, that's a really, really tough world because airliners already fell asleep probably a decade ago because you already have, a, for example, Booking.com. You have Google with their own uh, reservation and, and uh, flight hunting engines. You have, uh, you know, the Amadeus and whole Navitair that is in that space. So you have that whole travel industry that was built because none of the airliners were very successful in the past to make a good integrated easy to use easy to track direct to a consumer experience everybody's trying to catch up but we need to be very frank here this is a catch-up game first you need to be at least close to as good as Expedia Group is, or any of them that are offering that direct integrated experience. Most of the airliner, sorry, most of the yeah, airliners today, when if you book directly with them, they're going to try to upsell you a car, a hotel room, or maybe even a, a, a vacation package. But nobody really thinks about airliners being that. Airliners are seen as a single tasking tools you go there only if you really only want to fly. But even all of that, the rest of the ecosystem already developed so well that they can actually compete extremely successfully with, uh, you know, most of the people will not book flights directly these days. They're going to book it through some intermediary site. Uh, on one side, of course, uh, that whole industry together, probably worth talking about how they impacted traditional travel agents and travel agencies that you know when i was young everybody went to a, some silly local travel agent store on a corner or in a city and begged for for an airline ticket so that's the first part that it's clearly cannibalized but the second part how to stay in the game correctly is to create as integrated, real-time, streaming, supported type of a system that can plug into this greater fabric of hospitality industry. So how can you actually, for example, when your flight is delayed, how could you inform the integrated reservation of your hotel room? How could you actually tell that to a rent-a-car or to your Uber driver that is not going to wait for you? Uh, perhaps uh, the system should automatically, based on the type of the traveler you are, but maybe you will need some food right after you arrive, after two hours of delay. Maybe they need to send you electronic voucher to a nice restaurant that is either close to your hotel or close to your uh, to the airport. So airliners really need to stop thinking about just 
transportation and experience during the transport, but what is happening, you know, weeks before that and what is happening weeks or days after that experience of the travel. So here this, uh, when you mentioned, okay, uh, communication with, I don't know, digital players like Uber, like Airbnb, like, uh, and others here, this uh, agility and uh, architecture and uh, new way of uh, planning uh, digital uh, integrations and platforms really kicks in the, the, uh, the thing that you're that's explaining. What, that's why you can see uh, such a such a high rocket skyrocket success of either TripIt or or travel case all of these integrated tools when i'm a business traveler i expect that once the whole arrangement is done whatever it is I'm literally opening a travel case app and I'm going to see in there is going to be my Uber from my home to the airport at the correct time. And I don't need to take care of when my Uber needs to be ordered. So I am in the, at the airport at the right time so I can go through a security. I should have the full flight in there. I should have already a voucher to enter the, the, the business lounge, I should already have maybe a voucher for a drink in there. All of that should be in the same app. Is it coming from airliner? Is it coming from, uh, let's say, uh, the transportation like a, like a Uber? Uh, I don't care, really. I really want to get a smooth, unified experience. And it's almost like a question, what do I need to do in order to do that? Do I need to be a, you know, the platinum and unobtainium status in each and every one of those separately so I can get treated the way how I think I should be treated? Or is there a maybe place for one unified type of a program? Like we have a star alliance among just among airliners. Why is there no other hospitality uh, uh, chain part of star alliance, for example? Why not Marriott being part of it? So I can actually earn points, get integrated experience because I'm part of one travel group that offers everything. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the future is because the travel ecosystem with these digital platforms that were created or built in the last five years uh, because become better for the user, to be honest. Uh, the user experience in a lot of things, it's much better. For example, you, uh, Uber just removed most of the friction points of the uh, transfer or the taxi drive uh, and moved it into digital world. I think uh, this is where the airlines should look in the future. How to, how to like you said, how to coexist in this uh, digital world. Correct. Um, Okay, maybe because we said this is uh, this will be a, a bit of fut uh, futuristic uh, podcast talk to end up. Uh, I have three rapid fire questions, Micha, if you're ready. I always thought you are uh, really uh, extremely qu quick minded. And so I think you won't mind. I was born ready. ready. Go ahead. Yeah. Born ready. So, okay, you talked a lot about the cloud. One thing people get uh, wrong about the cloud? What What is one misleading thing about the cloud? A particularly public cloud, people think that it is less secure because it has that stupid word public in it. There is nothing public in public cloud and cloud like AWS, Microsoft, Google, that type of a cloud is way more secure with better secure control points, with a better transparency and better auditability than any data center anywhere on the planet. Okay, good. 
Next one. One digital myth that will be proven wrong in the next five years. The digital myth proven wrong. I think that that whole idea that we are now working on individual individualization so that everybody needs to have a highly customized, individualized experience all the way down to changing user interfaces for specific people that, you know, millennials need different UI than others. I think that's all is a myth. When there is a good experience done, I believe that it caters equally well all of the different geographics, all of the different age groups, and all of the different interests. You don't need to splinter your digital experience based on some demographics data. Good. One, te one technology or one tech platform or one uh, technology that will have the most impact in the next three to five years, in your opinion. I think that the changes in databases that we are seeing right now going out from relational databases, not just into a NoSQL type, but also graph databases, there is a whole bunch of a completely new players. So very much traditional approaches to, you know, Oracle database or DB2 or MySQL or Microsoft SQL, all of that is now fading away. Uh, replaced with Cassandra, with uh, DynamoDB in case of AWS, or with CosmosDB in case of Azure. The database world, the focus on how do we store the data, that we stop doing deletes and we stop doing updates, that every piece of data we only append, that very much every database is going to become very close to a blockchain type of a database where you can only read and append, that is going to be a major, major transformational shift. No matter which specific technology you choose, shifts in that persistence in, in database layer are one of the major tectonic shifts that I expect happening. To, I mean, technologies exist today, but getting to a mass adoption within the next three to five years. Okay, the last one. One thing, and it could be digital or anything else, that you would like airlines to do in the next few years? I think that airlines are doing quite well already today. A better integrating and taking care of all type of passengers. Everybody is kind of doing the right steps. The only thing that I would say that they should be bold enough to start thinking about it is, I understand the regulations. I understand that kind of a zero risk, a zero risk tolerance policy of every airline. But being a little bit more bold and try to, you know, get rid of technical debt faster, uh, that would actually be. So I'm not saying change the direction. I would say change the speed, change the acceleration of the modernization of airline systems of airline industry. Yeah, funny. One of the prior talk, the podcast I had. Uh, Stefan Tonke, who is a uh, Harvard Business uh, School professor and author of a, good, a book about business experimentation. And we talked exactly about that, how to adopt this more experimentation mindset and how to uh, adopt this experimentation bold approach, which leads to innovation, not only in the digital parts where airlines, I think, are doing this on the UX front, on the UX channel and channel front, but to the product front. Yeah, that experimentation is slightly different angle, which is valid as well, but not exactly what I, I had in mind. Just to clarify, that experimentation actually helps you to find faster what will work for you. So trying to find what the next big move should be, 
The only way you can do it is to run high volume of relatively inexpensive experiments and sift through them and find what really works for that specific company. So experimentation is mostly used to shape where to go. But then you still need to move, and that movement itself, which was guided by an experiment, that movement today is still slow. So better experimentation is not going to help you to, uh, to increase velocity of the actual change that experiment hinted where to go. Agree, and a great summary. Micha, this was great. If not before, I think in five years, we do another podcast and check all the all the myths and the predictions and how they went. <laughs> but until then, I wish you all the best at your future projects. And thanks again for being on this podcast. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. It was an honor. This podcast is brought to you by digintravel.com. Digintravel is your number one resource when it comes to airline and travel digital marketing and e-commerce. Visit digintravel.com to find the latest digital trends and white papers with in-depth airline digital benchmarks.